Welcome to Victory Church. Hey, if you're close enough to somebody and you feel comfortable high-fiving them, give them a high-five. If not, shoot somebody an air high-five. Just give them a point and be like, hey, you're my man, you know? Or if you're single, point somebody out and be like, hey, let me get your number, you know? Do whatever you got to do. Uh, we're all about, you know, trying to find, help you find a Christian relationship. Y'all didn't know that this is Victory Church slash Christian Mingle. Did y'all know that? I'm kidding. It's not that. Don't, don't tell your friends to come to Victory Church so you can find somebody. Welcome. So glad you could be with us this morning at Victory Church. Uh, whether you are visiting with us in person today or visiting with us online, I want to give you a couple of quick announcements. First, do me a favor, and would you text VICTORY18 to the number that's coming up on the screen? What that's going to do, that's going to send you on your phone uh, a digital connection card. And that gives you just some information you can fill out for us. And then at the bottom, there are some boxes you can check. Uh, they talk about salvation. They talk about baptism. It talks about serving on the dream team. And then there's one that says other. And when you click on that, it'll just kind of open up for you to type in. And that's just your opportunity to ask any questions if you want any information. But it's a great way for us to connect with you. And so when you text that number, we get your information. And then we reach out to you in the middle of the week and just say, hey, how can we connect with you? How can we help you? We call it next steps. How can we help you make your next step and get you connected in Victory Church? And most of all, get you to a point where you are using the talents and gifts that God gave you to minister to people. So if you do that for us, you can text that number. If you're visiting with us, when you, if you forget, by the time service is over, you walk out in the lobby, you'll see a banner that will talk about it. It'll have the number on it and so on. And then we'll talk about it again online at the end of the message. And if you are visiting, I want to just give you a real brief update on, on who Victory, not update, but, but information on who Victory Church is, in case you are checking us out for the first time. We are about four things here at Victory. Grow, guide, give, and go. We call them our four Gs. And so growing to know God, guiding you to freedom, giving out of the purpose that God's given us, and then going and making a difference. And so here's how we do that here at Victory. Growing to know God is doing exactly what you're doing right now, which is attending church, learning the word. I'm going to talk a little bit about what we do expository preaching-wise here, but it's just coming to church and learning more about God. Guiding is more of our small group focus. We have two arenas for that. We have a discipleship class that we do twice a year. Uh, it's full right now. It's happening. Our, our current group is getting ready to graduate in a couple of weeks. There'll be another one in the fall. And then our small groups are on pause just for the moment because of everything that's been happening with the pandemic. And as soon as we feel comfortable, we'll start uh, getting those things back open and encouraging you to join one of them. Third is giving, and we do that two ways here at Victory. Uh, one is financially, so you can support the church financially, whether it's through your tithes or just through any kind of offering. We do three ways to give here at Victory, and that'll be coming up on the screen for you. Uh, you can do that through Text to Connect. You can do it through the website. Um, you can do it, actually, if you're here in person, as you're walking out, there'll be a little black box, and you can drop it in there as well if you are either A, wanting to give your tithes, or B, just wanting to support what's happening here at Victory Church. The other way you can give is through your gifts and your talents, and we do that through the Dream Team. And so as you came into campus today, uh, you walked by what we call our first impressions. They were out there serving you in the lobby. You might have dropped your kids off at V-Kids where we have Dream Team members there. You're seeing production in the back as they're putting on this experience. And of course, the worship team that's worshiping with you this morning. And there's just so many different ways for you to serve. And what God's doing here at Victory is really incredible. And we're expecting big things as things continue to, uh, continue to open up. And so we just want to encourage you, if you've been attending, whether you've been online or whether you've been in person and you haven't, uh, signed up for a dream team, let us know. Again, you can do that in that text to connect. You can just say, hey, I'm interested in a dream team, and we'll reach out to you and talk about the next steps. 
Last but not least is go. We are really, really uh, big on outreach here at Victory. We've got a couple of things coming up soon. We have a whole month in July where we call Serve Month and we do different things. But I, I'm starting to talk about this a little bit so you'll get ready. In 2022, we are taking our first missions trip to Costa Rica. Yep, come on, get a little excited there. And so we want to uh, go ahead and put that out there so you can start getting your passports ready. We'll start getting information in your hands soon on what that's going to look like. But just always follow us on social media. Always be here on Sundays, and you'll hear about the next thing that we're doing outreach-wise so that you can get connected. Cool? All right. If you have been with us since the beginning of the series, The Journey, then listen to me. We studied an entire book of the Bible together. Isn't that awesome? Like, like we went through an entire book from John chapter one. Last week we did John chapter 21 and we summed it up with Jesus saying, follow me. We studied a book of the Bible together. And if you followed us on our website and you actually joined the journey, then you were getting the study guides every week and the study guides were kind of going deeper on some of the verses that I might not have put into the actual sermon or maybe even a little bit deeper that I didn't have time to address in the message. And so you really we're studying the book of John. We actually had one of our dream teamers text us and say, you know, thank you for the study guides. Thank you for what you're doing. She said, I have never felt more into the Bible. I've never felt like I'm studying the Bible more than right now. And I just love that thought that we as a church together, it's not just a local Bible study, but we as a church together are going through the Bible chapter by chapter. And so we're going soon to get into the book of Acts. And I felt because of the the the, the the response we were getting from John and the depth of it, uh, I'm going to take us even deeper as we get to the book of Acts. So every week I'll be preaching from it, and then we're going to put together kind of a, another study guide information that you can have throughout the week and really go deep in the book of Acts. But before we get into Acts, because of the season that we're in, I want to go back to John for just a moment, all right? So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open to the book of John, chapter 20. Okay, turn to chapter 20. I know we've already been there. I know we've probably read these verses, but we're going to revisit for a moment just for this week. We're going to talk and get a little bit into it next week before we actually get. Well, we, will, we will open the book of Acts next week, but we're visiting John again real quick to address a couple of things. So John chapter 20, we're going to start reading at verse 11, but let me give you the context of verses 1 through 10. Okay, So Jesus was arrested. He was crucified. He was killed. He was buried. They prepared his body. They put it in a borrowed tomb. Mary wakes up. Mary Magdalene wakes up. She decides she's going to go visit the tomb as much as we would visit a, a tombstone, right? So she's going to go visit the tomb. When she gets there, the stone, because tombs back in that day would be kind of more like a cave, and they would have rolled this stone in front of it, right? So the, stu- the stone has been rolled away, and Jesus is gone. His body is missing, and so she freaks out, and she runs and tells a couple of the disciples. She's like, oh, I don't you know. Jesus is not there. I don't know. The thought pattern is that the religious leaders have kidnapped, have stolen his body, and they're trying to make a mockery of the idea of the resurrection. So Mary's freaking out. She's crying, and that's where we're going to pick it up at verse 11. All right, you ready? Here we go. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. So she, again, thinks Jesus' body has been stolen, so she's upset. She's crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look back into the tomb. And when she did, she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. One was at the head and the other was at the foot. They then asked her, woman, why are you crying? She says, they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. So she sees somebody standing there. It's Jesus, 
but she doesn't realize it's Jesus, okay? And he and asked her, Jesus asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, so not only did she not know it was Jesus, she thought it was the gardener, she says to him, sir, if you carried him away, if something was happening in your process and you need to carry him away, just tell me, you don't have to go get him. I'm not mad at you. Just tell me where you put him and I will go get him. Jesus then said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. My assumption is that Mary probably wrapped her arms around him to hug him. And he said, hold on, don't hold on to me yet. I'm not ascended to the Father. Instead, go and to my brothers and tell them that I have ascended to my Father. I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Then the Bible says Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. With that sentence, I want to talk to you this morning just for a moment on the subject, why Easter matters. I want to talk through that. Why does Easter matter? Depending on your age, depending on your religious experience, depending on where you are in this season of your life, Easter could matter for different reasons. For example, if you're a child, Easter probably matters because of the Easter basket, right? I mean, let's just be honest. For some of us, we're not even children, and Easter still matters because of the Easter basket. When, when, when I was growing up, I remember we would come in. My, my parents were not saved. We, we didn't go to church. We weren't Christians. But I would come into the living room, and we did celebrate Easter, and there'd be this Easter basket, and it would have candy, and it would have, you know, uh, uh, maybe like, depending on my age, a stuffed animal or something, maybe an action figure. Right, I had action figures, not stuffed animals. Uh, and then it would have, like, DVDs or, or video games or whatever. And so, you know, there was, was this awesome Easter basket. And that was just, that, that's what it was for me. And for a lot of kids, that's why Easter matters today. For some of your kids, the reason Easter matters is because they want an Easter basket and because of the Easter bunny, right? For some people, Easter matters because of the egg hunts. And listen, I'm not hating on egg hunts. I'm a big egg hunt fan. Matter of fact, if you aren't currently doing an egg hunt for yourself, no matter what your age is, you aren't living life to the fullest, okay? It's the only time of the year where it's justified to hide something in your front yard and then go look for it and it be considered fun, right? Like normally when you're searching for stuff that you've lost in your front yard, you're mad about it. Like you're not enjoying it, but you can actually do it right now during this season and it's a positive thing, okay? Look, when, when, when I met Darla and we, we started getting serious and of course we got married, I found out that what her parents would do for Easter, and, and my in-laws, if you're watching, this better happen, uh, what they would do is they would get a couple of eggs, it ended up being about eight eggs because it was me, my wife, her brother, and his wife, so it was four of us. We'd show up to their house and they would take Easter eggs and they would put money in it. I'm talking about real money, like 20, 25 to 100, $150 in the Easter eggs, right? And then they would hide them throughout the backyard. Now here was the rule. You could only find two eggs. So you could look all you want, but once you found two eggs, you could not claim any more eggs. I could help Darla look. I could help Lucas look, but, I, but these two eggs were my eggs. And so you didn't know if you were going to get the $20 egg or if you were going to get the $100 egg. And so, I mean, we were out there, you know, like UFC fighters. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like Darla, even Darla, I'd be like, I will karate chop you in the throat. Like that's, you know, because that's my money. You know, so it's just amazing how even adults act when there's Easter eggs out there 
with money in it, okay? And so it just kind of, you know, it depends on where you are as to why Easter matters. For some people, Easter matters because you get to wear your best outfit, right? You've been, you've been waiting all year to break out this dress or to break out this suit or this top hat and cane. I'm not hating. Whatever you do, do it, right? And you're just waiting to be able to wear this. For some people, let's be honest, Easter doesn't matter. It's just another holiday that they don't understand that they have to spend money for. And then there's what it means for pastors. And it's really interesting what Easter means for pastors. Obviously, for pastors, Easter is the pinnacle, you would say, Sunday of the year. Um, And I think pastors get bad raps kind of as to why they're so excited about Easter. I think there's a couple reasons. Number one is this, is they say statistically that the average person, especially because of COVID right now, the average person goes to church once a month, okay? And then they said before COVID that any given Sunday, 20% of your church was not there. So one of the things that I think is very positive about Easter for a pastor is that their entire church is there, right? And it's one of those Sundays where everybody's probably, it's like a family reunion. Like even, you know, the uncle and the aunt that nobody talks about, like everybody's there on that day together. And then I think the other reason is this, is that finally for a Sunday, the pastor feels like the energy in the room matches the energy that he spent right in the sermon, right? And so that's why I think Easter is such a big deal, right? But again, it just matters where you are, what your age is, what your, what your religious situation is. That, that kind of decides for you why Easter matters. According to statistics, on 60% of Americans will attend church on Easter. Think about that. 60% of Americans will attend church on Easter. I think they say normally it's anywhere from 20 to 28% that attend church any given Sunday. So that's a, that's a huge step up, right, because of Easter Sunday. And it's the one day that draws, I thought this was interesting, all four types of churchgoers. Did you know that there were four types of churchgoers? So it draws, number one, the, the regular attender. So you've got the regular attender who does their best to attend every Sunday, probably serves on a dream team, probably ties, does all the regular attender. Then you've got the marginal attender that comes, like I was talking about, maybe once a month or whatever it might be. Then there's what they call the holiday attender. And this is the person that comes on Easter, Christmas, and Mother's Day and those kind of things. Um, And then there is the visitor. The visitor is the person that's visiting for the first day because their friend or their parents invited them. And Easter's one of those days where it's like, you've been inviting me for months to go to your church. I'm going to go to church somewhere on Easter, so I'll just go to your church and then you'll shut up about it, right? That's kind of that process of how it happens. So those four types come together. And 60% of Americans enter into some church somewhere on Easter Sunday, therefore making Easter the highest attended Sunday service of the entire year. But do people know why? Why? Why are they coming into the doors? Why are they coming to church for Easter? What? is the big deal about Easter. Well, Easter, also known as Pascha, is the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus from the tomb on the third day after his crucifixion. Easter is, and you might be going, duh, Easter is the event, it's the holiday, it's the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus from the tomb three days after the crucifixion. The week leading up to Easter is called the Holy Week, or you might refer to it as the Passion Week, 
It includes the Sunday before, Palm Sunday, which is the day Jesus entered Jerusalem and then was celebrated, and it includes Good Friday, which of course is the day that Jesus was crucified on the cross. But listen to me. The reason that Easter matters, the reason that you and I, moving forward from this point, should be able to answer the question when somebody says, hey, why does Easter matter? The reason Easter matters is because it answers the most important question ever asked. And a lot of people are asking it. And if you're not asking it, maybe you should. Easter matters because it answers this important question. Who is Jesus? Who is he? Is he he a friend? Is he the son of God? Who is he? Let's go back to John chapter 20. Now, as, as John's getting ready to finish up his entire gospel, he's written 21 chapters is what we would end up breaking it into. It's got all these stories of Jesus, all these miracles, all these incredible moments. John kind of sums up his entire gospel in two sentences found in John chapter 20, verses 30, 31. Watch what he says. He says, Jesus performed many other signs, okay? He would often refer to miracles as signs in his gospel. He performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. I talked about this a couple weeks ago. In other words, Jesus did more stuff, but it's not recorded in this book because John's The the idea that the scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit. So John is saying, the Holy Spirit led me to pick these things, not everything, but these things. John, why did you pick these things? Because these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John says, I wrote this book, this entire book, this entire 21 chapters is to help you come to believe. We talked a couple weeks ago about what believe means. Come to believe, to trust, to have confidence that Jesus is who he said he is. And he goes on to say, I constructed my entire book around seven signs, as he refers them. Seven signs, seven miracles that Jesus did, that he constructed his entire book around in hopes that when you read it, you would see what he sees, feel what he feels, believe what he believes, and therefore understand and see Christ as the Messiah. John wanted us to understand that the miracles Jesus performed weren't just because he was a nice guy. Jesus didn't perform the miracles because he wanted to help people. Now, He is a nice guy, and he does want to help people. But that was not the main purpose of Jesus' miracles. The purpose of Jesus' miracles, or Jesus' signs, as John would refer them to, he performed them so that they would clearly identify to you and to me who Jesus is. There's this new phenomenon right now called the Enneagram test. Do y'all know about this? How many of you have taken the Enneagram test? Raise your hand real quick. You know your number, right? 
All right, obviously, we got to get a church-wide Enneagram test because nobody's taking it. Um, so let me, let me kind of educate you real quick. The idea is you get onto this test and you, take, you answer these certain questions, and the questions kind of give you a number, and then you can take that number and you go to their website, and you, you connect the number to the Enneagram number that you are. And so you might be a two, you might be an eight, you might be a one, and then it tries to tell you a little bit about you, kind of gives you a synopsis, kind of a paragraph about you. Um, maybe sometimes you'll read and go, that's not me, and then you read another number and go, oh, Okay, that's me. It talks about celebrities who are, are the same Enneagram as you. It talks about how you lead certain Enneagrams and how you relate to certain other people. It's a, it's a really cool thing. Like, it, you should probably look into it. I think it's really cool. So a friend of mine was talking to me about it, and she sent me the test, and I took it. And when I got done, I was a six. That's my number, six. So I don't know what number you are, but if your number doesn't, like, mesh well with the number six... I'm sorry, right? It just is what it is. Like that's, that's according. That's what I am. But I want to read to you what it said about me. Okay, this is this is when I looked it up. This is what it said about me. It said when it comes to sixes, they are committed, they are security oriented type people. It said sixes are reliable, they're hardworking. This is not something I stage so that you think like I'm better at what I'm doing. It's like is he promoting himself? Um, I'm responsible, right? trustworthy. It does sound that way. It gets bad. Don't worry. Just wait. It's going to take a turn. Uh, trustworthy. Excellent troubleshooters, right? I was like, that's me right there. I'm always trying to find a way to fix it. However, they fear losing their personal support and stability. They usually crave safe and predictable environments, and they tend to have an expect the worst hope for the best mentality. I read that and I was like, that's me. Interestingly enough, I looked into the celebrities that are also sixes. Malcolm X was a six. Eminem is a six. That's how I knew, right? That's how I knew. Right then I was like, obviously, that's me. Um, it said Frodo from Lord of the Rings is a six. I'm not really sure how that works because I don't think he's a real person. But, but, you know, it is what it is. But it's, it's interesting because you read that and you kind of find out a little bit about you. And as I was thinking about that, I stepped back for a moment, and this is not biblically proven, this is just my perception, but I stepped back and I went, man, John, the Gospel of John is like an Enneagram test for Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, like, if you just read through the Gospel of John and you read the things that Jesus did and the things that he said and the miracles, it, it sets up for you not just who we think Jesus is, but who we actually, who Jesus actually is. So when we read through the Gospel of John, all 21 chapters, and knowing that it was constructed around these seven signs, you and I can step back and judging from the book of John, we can actually go, this is who Jesus is. All right, let me show you what I mean. Let's go through these seven signs real quick. They're all throughout the book of John. The first sign is when Jesus turned water into wine, okay? It's in John chapter two. I don't know if you remember this, but Jesus attends a wedding and they run out of wine. And then Mary comes, his mother comes to Jesus and says, hey, I need you to you know, do your work around here. And Jesus says, it's not my time. And Jesus ends up taking these, uh, these old like, like, like water jugs. They had water in them where they would wash people's feet when they came in. He takes the water that's in those and he changes them into wine. And then now they, you know, they're ready to party again. Okay? So, so here's what you need to understand about these miracles, these signs I'm about to tell you. There is the miracle that happened, the, the, you know, like right there. The miracle that now these people went from having no wine to having wine. But every one of these miracles has something deep in it that is a sign pointing to who Jesus is. Okay? So let's start with the water into wine. 
When he did that, he took something that was old and he changed it into something new. This was a symbolization or a sign that Jesus was there to take the old covenant and change it to a new covenant, okay? We preached about this early in the series. We called it the new normal, that Jesus did not show up to continue what they had been doing, but he showed up to start something totally new, right? It was not continuing the old way. He was coming in to start a brand new way. So when Jesus walks in and takes this old concept of cleanliness and and cleansing and shifts it and changes it into wine, it is a sign that Jesus has come to change the old and make it into something new, all right? Miracle number two is the healing of the nobleman's son. Now, in case you don't remember this story, I'll just catch up real quick. This guy's son needs healing. He comes to Jesus. He says, Jesus, I need you to heal my son. Jesus says, all right, let's go. The guy says, now, wait a minute. You're a busy man. I'm a busy man. I I know what it's like to have the authority to where I can speak and people just go and do. He's like, you're Jesus. I think you could just speak and then my son would be healed. And Jesus said, I've never seen faith like this before. So Jesus says, go, your son's been healed. And when that man gets home, his son has been healed. Jesus didn't have to walk in the room. Jesus didn't have to touch him. Jesus spoke him. Obviously the miracle to, you know, face value miracle is the boy being healed. But listen, the sign is that Jesus's word has authority. The sign is that the word of God by itself is authority and that Jesus is God's word in flesh, okay? So, so far we've turned water into wine, but it, but it symbolized that Jesus was there to take the old way and make it new. Now we have a young boy healed, but the sign was that Jesus was the walking word of God and that the word of God alone has authority. Make sense? All right. Miracles three and six go together. Miracle three is healing the lame man at the pool, pool Bethesda. We talked about that. Uh, Six is healing the man that was born blind. Obviously, there is physical healing in the scriptures. Obviously, the man cannot walk. Now he can walk. Obviously, the man cannot see. Now he can see. There are, again, face value. It is a physical miracle to the body. But here was the sign. Every time Jesus would go into a scenario, he would talk about sins being forgiven. And people would go, who does this guy think he is? He can't forgive sins. And so Jesus would say, I tell you what. Is it easier for me to say that your sins are forgiven or to heal this body? Here's why it was easier for him to say sins are forgiven, because there's no way for me to prove right now that he's lying, right? He could tell me my sins are forgiven, but I won't know until I die if my sins are forgiven. But if he says he's going to heal this man and the man can't get up and walk, then he's proven a phony. So Jesus says, which one is it? So Jesus says, fine, I'll heal them in the physical sense so that you can trust that I can forgive you of your sins. You see what I mean? So the physical healing is there. That's the face value. But the sign is pointing that Jesus can forgive you of your sins. Cool? All right, moving on. Next miracle, miracle four and miracle five. Feeding of the 5,000, walking on water. Both of these are... um, Symbolizations to the Old Testament. Feeding of the 5,000 is when God provided manna for the children of Israel. Uh, Walking on water is a symbolization of when the parting of the Red Sea. Obviously, once again, miracles were done. People were fed. Uh, Obviously, Peter had faith. He stepped on the boat. There were miracles on face value. But the sign was that Jesus had come to fulfill the Old Testament. He had not come to ignore it. He had not come to displace it. He had come to fulfill it. Make sense? And then, of course, the last miracle was when he raised Lazarus from the dead. And that was a symbolization that he would eventually fulfill the prophecy that he would die, be in the grave three days, and then rise again to sit at the right hand of the Father. There's a Bible study for you in 30 seconds. Thank you. 
that actually means a lot that you care. Thank you, because I worked really hard on that. Okay, I was going to go eat my feelings and cheese sticks after this was over. But, but the whole, and this is what John is saying. John is saying, listen, I've constructed the whole gospel around these seven signs for you to understand that, yes, Jesus did these practical miracles, but there was such a deeper meaning in it. They were symbolization and signs for you to understand that who Jesus actually is. John put everything he had experienced on paper. He wanted you to understand, hey, this is who Jesus is. Listen, Jesus is our advocate. He's our counselor. He's our deliverer. He's our redeemer. He's our rock. He's our Lord. He's the Messiah, the Son of God, the sacrificial lamb of our sins, the new Adam, the light of the world, the good shepherd, the bread of life, the true vine, the Alpha and Omega, and the great I. He's all those things. Now, here's what's so sweet. As I was writing the sermon, I was talking to Darla about Jesus in a separate context. We, we, we do talk about Jesus just in our living room, and we're talking about him, and she, she, she's kind of getting more on an intimate level about him, and she was referring to a movie that she had seen. I don't know if it was The Passion or, or The Chosen or something like that, and she talked about this scene where Mary and Jesus, I think it was Mary, are like in the water, and Jesus kind of splashes water on her playfully, and she was talking about just the intimate side of Christ and how he's playful, and, and as I was in the middle of writing this message, and I'm like, you know what? He's all of those things. He, he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the sacrificial lamb. He's the light of the world. He's the good shepherd. And I could break all of that down for you. And some of it we did in some of our John series. But he is all of these things that are up here. But he's also our friend. He's also intimate with us. He's also playful with us. He also loves to be around us. He loves to laugh with you and cry with you and live with you. He is all of these things. And John says, I wrote all of this for you to understand that this is who Jesus is. And then he constructs it around these seven signs and says, no matter who you point him out to be, you can be it can be categorized in one of these seven areas because we go all the way from, from the, the old covenant being changed. We go next into to forgiveness of sins. We go into the Old Testament being fulfilled. We go into his death, his resurrection. All of these signs point back to this is who Jesus is. This is who he is. He's not just the guy on the cross. He's not just the painting in your grandmother's living room, and you're not sure why he's in there. He is all of these things for you and I, and honestly, we are not expressing and experiencing it all to its fullest potential. He's so much more. Now listen, this is important. This is why we're here. Who Jesus claimed to be is great news, is great news, unless what he said is left up to our opinion, our personal experience, and our assessment, right? I mean, who he said is great, I mean, great, unless, unless it's left up to me to confirm that. Who he is transforms my life unless his proclamations are just religious hopes and not actual truth, right? So, sir, ma'am, husband, wife, mom, dad, teenager, child, young adult, atheist, 
Skeptic, doubter, Christian, listen to what I'm about to tell you. Because what I'm about to tell you is why Easter matters. Because what I've just told you is irrelevant without what I'm about to tell you. So let's go back to John 20. Go instead, Jesus says to my brothers, and you tell them I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene, she went to the disciples with the news. Not some news, the news. I have seen the Lord. And with those five words, everything that matters to you and I is flipped upside down. With those five words, our faith goes from hopeless to hopeful. With those five words, everything that Jesus said he is, it proved that he is. With those five words, and it's the third word that matters the most. I have seen the Lord. It was the resurrection of Christ. Listen, when, from now on, when you walk out of this place, you're coming here because you want to know God more and you want to grow in God and you want to be a better Christian, you want to live for God, you want to serve God. Listen to me. The foundation of your faith and my faith is not a religious experience. It's an event. The reality of Christ does not depend on how you feel. It's all on an actual event. Everything that Jesus said he is was proven truth when he came out of the grave. I've said this a couple times throughout this series. When someone says that they're going to die and three days later they're going to rise from the dead and then they do it, you believe everything else that person says. And I will go back on what I'm teaching the day you bring somebody else up here to me who said they were going to die, said they were going to resurrect, called out the date, and then did it. But until then, I want to know what else this resurrected Savior said. Because if he did that, then everything else he said is true. See, you have to understand, Easter matters because in the middle of everything is the resurrection. The thing between you and church, the thing between you and the Bible, the thing in between you that makes the things I just said relevant to you is the resurrection. The Bible has events. The wedding at Cana, Cana, right? Feeding of 5,000 has events. And then John said, but they're signs. And then those signs are proven by an event, which was the resurrection. That moved us from hope to faith to believe. And then believe moved us to trust in him. Does that make sense? So, so listen to me. Everything that when we walk out of here, when you pastor your home, church, when you love your neighbor, when you don't go off on your boss, when you try your best, best to live a life that honors God, you're doing all of those things not because Pastor Troy said so. Trust me, you don't want to lean on me. You're doing it because of the truth that Christ resurrected from the grave. 
He is who he said he is. All right, I'll tell you the story. Uh, when, when I was in senior high school and graduated about the year after, a lot of y'all know Brian and I are best friends growing up. We're spending all the time together. We, we go play basketball a lot together. All the time. Like if we were out of school, Brian once talked me, out of, talked me into quitting a job so I could play basketball more. Now I don't say that to blame him because I'm the idiot that did it, right? Just letting you know. Sorry, sorry, B. Um, but we, we, we play basketball all the time. All the time. So let me just give you kind of some, some understanding here. I'm not bad at basketball. I'm pretty good. Like, I'm not going to win the game for you, but I'm also not going to lose the game for you. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm that guy that you're like, yeah, we'll take him because he's, he's good. I mean, you would never, like, pick me first, but, you know, I'm okay. Brian, and this is, I'm probably good that I'm praising him now after throwing him on the bus there for a second. Brian is really good at basketball, really good at basketball. Like, like he's tall, he's got dribbles, but he's got a jump shot that if he can get it off, it's going in, right? It's been that way since we were in high school. So we would just go to different places. We play basketball like crazy. Um, and a lot of times on the weekend, we go to community centers and different things. And 99% of the time when we walked into a gym, we were probably the only two white people that walked into the gym. There was a, a stereotype 15, 18 years ago when we were teenagers uh, that is still very true today in a lot of scenarios. And that is that white people can't play basketball, all right? Um, depending on who you're talking to, that stereotype is still true. Uh, but obviously there are some occasional good ones. Um, so we would come into the community center and, and people, you know, they'd be playing. And the way basketball works in a setup like that, in case you don't know, is they'd be playing a game and they call it, I got downs. And what that means is that this guy is going to um, be able to pick the next team to play the winner and all this kind of stuff. So, it, you know, it can be very political because it becomes picking your friends and picking people that you know are good and all this kind of stuff. So, so we come in and we sit down and it never failed. We'd sit down for about one or two games and nobody would even pay us attention. And then somebody would come over and be like, hey, y'all any good? I wouldn't say anything because I wasn't going to lie. You know, I was a Christian. And so um, I wasn't. But, but Brian would say, yeah, we're good. We're good. I'm good. And so they'd be like, okay, okay. But then they would kind of move on and pick somebody else. You know what I mean? It, it would last two or three games. And then finally, there'd be some guy that was just wild and crazy, and he would, he would just trust us. He would just take the risk. And he'd be like, you know what? I got those two guys. And so we'd get on the court, and it never failed, right? Like, they'd be kind of hesitant to give us the ball. You know, it'd be like dribbling down. They'd have like five people on them. We'd be over there wide open. And they'd be like, ah, you know. And then finally, the ball would accidentally get to Brian somehow, right? Somebody kicked it. It went off their forehead, and it landed in Brian's hands. And he shot it, and I mean, pure nothing but net. And they were like, okay. And normally went like this, okay, white boy. You know, let's do this. And so they would start playing. And then before you know it, Brian would hit every shot. Just boom, boom. And then I'm, I'm telling you the dead honest truth. He would not sit down the rest of the time, which meant if his team lost, somebody else was picking him up. You know, I mean, they went from like, you know, can you play to the fact that where he never stopped playing. I sometimes didn't get picked back up. I'm not bitter about it. It's okay. God gave me Darla. You know what I mean? But I'm just saying, but he would not sit back down. And the Lord was making me think about this because what happened? They started off just trying to trust him for his word. But when they saw something, right? When they saw something that proved what he said, they were convinced on what he had been saying. And then it shifted every else thing that they did. It's the same thing with Jesus. It's okay for us to be like, man, he said he's good. But I don't know. I don't know. But when something happens that you see, 
when the resurrection happened, it solidified and it proved and it gave evidence to everything else that Jesus had said, and it should change everything else about our lives. It should transform us. Not because some preacher said it, not because it's in the Bible, not because you learned it on a felt board in Sunday school, but because Jesus Christ resurrected from the grave. It's the evidence. It's proof. Because of that, I believe everything else. And just like those ball players, I want everything about my life to change because of some information that I received. Everything should change. Easter matters because of the resurrection. That's why it matters. We don't have a resurrection because of the Bible. We have a Bible because of the resurrection. You say, well, that sounds a little bit blasphemous. What are you talking about? I said this a couple weeks ago. If Jesus doesn't rise from the grave, you and I aren't sitting here today. We're not even opening the New Testament. The Old Testament, still the Hebrew Bible. We probably still would look at it occasionally, but you and I would not be reading the New Testament. We wouldn't care what Luke said. We wouldn't care what Matthew said. We could care less what Paul said. We would not care because the one that they put all of their trust in died and everything he said died with him. But because of the resurrection, we realize that Jesus is not just some rabbi who went off the rails. Jesus is who he said he is. And it's why we have to know who Jesus says he is. I heard this saying one time. I've, I've kept it in the back of my mind, especially in church leadership. When people try to tell you who they are, believe them. You ever heard that? Now, I could preach a whole other sermon on how Christ can change that, but I want to spin it for a moment. And I want you to understand that from now on, when you read your Bible and Jesus says who he is in some shape, form, or fashion through an event, through a sign, through his words, believe who he says he is. Believe it, but not because I said so. Don't do it because you attended a church and the pastor was so passionate when he screamed it. Listen, I'm not up here because I'm hopeful. I'm not up here for the pay. I'm not up here for the fame. The only reason why I would come and sweat in front of you and share you this message is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he is who he says he is. And therefore, that means a lot for you and a lot for me, and it should change our lives. Why does Easter matter? Why well, get eggs? I, who cares about the eggs? By all means, hunt them, eat your candy. If I get to wear my girl, wear whatever you, you look good, wear it, girl. But that's not why Easter matters. It matters because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was the resurrection that made everything else that Jesus said relevant. It proved and it solidified everything else he had ever taught. And are you ready for this? Including the forgiveness of your sins. 
everything else that Jesus said is true because he resurrected from the grave, then it's true that he can forgive us from our sins. And so I wanna challenge you on two things this morning. Number one is this. If you've never trusted the salvation of your life into Jesus Christ, I wanna ask you to do that. I was talking to a friend last night about the difference in how we share the gospel versus what it actually means to believe. The Bible says, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. So there is a moment where you believe in your heart. I believe Jesus Christ died for my sins. I believe it. I believe it because the Bible says so. I believe it. And here's why I can believe the Bible, because we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Eyewitnesses and other eyewitnesses, the resurrection, it's been proven in every aspect. This is real. Christ really died for my sins, and then he resurrected on the third day, so I believe it. And I accept Christ's sacrifice for my salvation. Today, do that. Don't go any further. If you're in here, if you're watching online, don't do anything else without stopping what you're doing and saying, I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I believe he resurrected on the third day, and I believe that through him I'm saved and I'll go to heaven. Make that prayer. Pray that prayer. Say it. Close your eyes. Open your eyes. Stand up. Sit down. I don't care how you do it. Just do it. And then secondly, once you do that, commit your life to Jesus. I'm going to talk next week about all the things the disciples did after the resurrection. And it all comes back to this aspect. Because when a man raises from the dead, where else are you going to go? right? We're all going to commit our life to something. I choose to commit it to the one who raised from the dead. So once you believe in him for your salvation, give your life to him and follow him. That's what this whole series in Acts is going to be about. This is how we live what we believe. This is how we walk out our faith in Jesus. But I'm challenging you more than ever. Don't leave here the same way you came in. If you're not saved, be saved. If you're saved, become a disciple. Follow Jesus Christ. Allow it to impact your life. And when somebody says you're different, why you're different? Don't say, well, because, you know, I was at church and the pastor said and blah, blah. Say it's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Build your faith on that. Because listen to me, no one can take that from you. Don't build it on your education. You ain't that smart. Don't build it on your faith. You ain't that spiritual. Build it on the fact that Christ died and he rose again. And that's all that matters. And when somebody says, why are you doing that? Give them that reason. When you ask yourself, why am I doing this? Give them that reason. There's people watching your kids right now. You know why? Because Jesus Christ resurrected from the grave. There's people who have been here since early this morning running production so that you could sit in here and listen. Why? Because Jesus Christ was resurrected from the grave. Their hope is in him. Amen? Father, we thank you right now for your word and the revelation that you're not in the grave but you are alive. And it's, it's my prayer and it's my mission and man, it's my life 
to help people to understand that they're not following you because of some kind of religious experience, but they're following you because you resurrected from the grave and because everything that you said you are, you are. You are our redeemer. You are our advocate. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. You are the Alpha and Omega. You are the great I Am. You are the salvation for our sins. You're all of those things, including the resurrected King. And so we worship you right now, Father. I pray that every person that's in this room, every person that's watching online, that those that will commit to trust you for their salvation. I pray for those who have been saved that said, I just want to go deeper. I want to know God better. I want to follow Christ better, not for any other reason, but because I just want to know him more. I want to know him more. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.